0: We are back today with our second episode of Sleep Week, and I can't wait to get into it. Before we begin, I wanted to remind all of you that I'm teaching some in-person workshops in my home state of Idaho this month and next. The first workshop is in Boise, Idaho on Saturday, January 26th, and there are about two tickets left for this event, I think. So if you want one, hurry. Hurry. The second workshop is in Twin Falls, Idaho on Saturday, February 9th, and there are about five tickets left for that. So again, don't delay because I really do want to meet you in person. These workshops are about decluttering your motherhood, decluttering it of all of the shoulds and the mom guilt and the cultural expectations that so often bog us down as mothers. We'll be learning how to find more authentic joy in our motherhood experience by being more authentically ourselves. I'm so passionate about this topic as it's definitely changed my life and I truly love to teach. So I hope you'll join me for one of these events, even if you have to drive a little distance to attend. I think it will be very worth it. Today we're going to be talking about our kids' bedtime battles, which is kind of ironic because my four-year-old Sally came into our room about three times last night, so I ended up sleeping with her in her single bed. Ryan said when he left for work, she was asleep on my chest, and somehow I was sleeping through it. I'm still not sure what's up with that because she's generally a pretty good sleeper, but if you, like me, have found yourself with a crick in your neck from sleeping in your toddler's bed with them, or if you're tired of all the negotiating and whining that can happen at bedtime, this episode is for you. Also, please pass it on to another mother who you think could use it. Here is episode 61, How to Avoid Bedtime Battles. In our episode that aired on Monday, Dr. Katie Penry talked about infant sleep and she encouraged all of us that if we were really struggling with the sleep habits of our children, that we should get some professional help, get a consultant to look individually at our babies and see what's going on and get their input. And I'm so excited to have a bonus episode today on a Thursday with one of those sleep experts, just like Dr. Penry was talking about. Her name is Marietta Paxton, and she is a licensed marriage and family therapist, also a mother of three. She has a five-year-old and three-year-old twins. So she gets it, not just on a professional level with sleep, but she's lived it with her own children. And she has a business called Little Dreamers. It's baby sleep consultants that helps families with their infant and their toddler sleep in their homes. So I'm so excited to welcome her here, Marietta, welcome to 3 and 30.
1: Thank you so much for having me here, Rachel.
0: I'm thrilled to have you on. Dr. Penrian and I focused more on infant sleep, and you and I are going to talk a little bit more about toddler sleep. But before we start, I wanted to ask you, how did you become a sleep expert? I mean, you were a licensed marriage and family therapist. How did it sort of morph into becoming the specialty around sleep?
1: Great question. I mean, as a marriage and family therapist, I have some... You know, specialized training in working with children and parenting. That's kind of one of my expertise in that field. And so I already understood a lot going in. I understood attachment. I understood behavioral um, behaviors with children and how to motivate them. I had that background, but sleep was really missing. And I began to notice how it was impacting my clients. That you know, they were having behavioral issues because they weren't getting enough sleep or, you know, different things like that. And I, I, it was a big mystery until I had my own children and sleep started to impact me personally. And that's when I said, I need to understand and know more about this. And that's when, you know, I dug into the research and I dug into what, you know, sleep material there is out there. And I began to implement that not only personally in my life, but also professionally with my clients. And I saw a huge need for it. Um, With my clients and with myself, and that it made such a big difference. And so once I once I hit on that, it just continued to grow. And eventually, I lot launched Little Dreamers, so I could help more families.
0: Yeah, and I love what you said there about how sleep is foundational. If you can help your kids get more sleep, a lot of the other issues that might lead to your family being in therapy or them seeking out a behavioral specialist can be avoided if everyone is simply better rested. Would you say that's true?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, there, I, have, I have clients that come to me and they're saying, my child isn't eating. My child is clingy. My child is a million different things that we're able to work through because the child starts getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a child, a toddler. She was about three or four, and she wouldn't talk to anyone mm-hmm. ever. She started getting enough sleep. She started talking more. Now, she didn't ch- turn into a chatterbox. But she started talking more. And I think when we are sleeping, we're feeling our best. And so we're able to then be our best selves.
0: Yes, both the child and then also the parents. I know when I'm not sleeping, I struggle more with anxiety and depression, and I'm, you know, uh, have less patience with my children. I'm more likely to yell, and so I'm sure all of this is true. When everybody's sleeping better, we're all behaving better.
1: (laughs) Oh yes, and that that was exactly my story. My sleep deprivation with my twins affected my anxiety, and it was just getting to the point where I knew this wasn't healthy anymore for Mm. anyone.
0: Yes. Well, and we talked quite a bit about that with um, Dr. Penry in the episode on Monday about the importance of moms, especially who are struggling with depression and anxiety to get the sleep they need. And today we're going to go more into the toddler years. And I feel like these takeaways that you're going to give, they're not just really for toddlers. I'd also say for preschoolers. And even on into like elementary age kids, as I read your takeaways, I'm like, okay, all of these apply to Noah, my son who's seven, as well, um, particularly with bedtime battles, which is something that is so common for parents to face, either their kids not going to bed, not wanting to go to bed, or going to bed and then coming out a hundred times and asking for things and pushing it longer and longer and longer. So help us, Marietta. <laughs> <laughs> Help us get this under control. So um, what is your first bit of advice for a parent who either wants to avoid the bedtime battles or who needs to tackle it? It's already happening and they need to start some new habits in their family.
1: Okay, I'm going to throw a little wrench in here, Rachel. It's not on my list. But as we're talking, I'm like, why didn't I put this on my list? It's the number one most important thing. So just roll with me for a second.
0: Okay, totally.
1: The, The very first thing I always tell parents is, Make sure that bedtime is early enough. Most, I would say most of the battles that I see with toddlers, preschoolers, and maybe those elementary age kids is because bedtime is too late. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're kind of hitting this second wind and we're mm-hmm. missing kind of this idle sleep time. So when I look at a, at a client with a toddler, toddler struggling, the first thing I do is almost always I'm saying we need to move bedtime up 30 minutes an hour. And sometimes that fixes everything.
0: Hmm. I do think that's really true. So what is a great bedtime for younger children?
1: Good question. So let's go with age three. Three is an easy one because at the age of three, kids need a total of about 12 hours of sleep. Some kids need a little bit less and some kids need a little bit more, but 12 hours is kind of where I start. So if you have a three-year-old who is not napping, they need 12 hours of sleep. So my twins are three, and we have a wake-up time of 6.30 in our house. And guess what? That means bedtime is at 6.30 mm. at our house. And yes. we do quiet time, and they often fall asleep for 20 to 30 minutes. I don't put them to bed any later. They go to bed just fine at 6.30. So.
0: Some parents would be like, what? Like, they'd never go to sleep that early, but they will, right?
1: They will, and I have parents that are so shocked They'll, I had a consultation with a mom who had a three or four year old. And I was like, I'd start putting him to bed about an hour earlier. And she was like, okay, I'll do it. Like you said it and I'll do it. And she wrote me back after and she's like, oh my word, it fixed everything. That's amazing. I would have never thought to just go to bed earlier and it's worth it. Like I know it's not always super convenient, but it's worth it day to day. You know, you're always going to have exceptions, but day to day, it's worth that early bedtime to avoid the battles, to have the improved mood, like all around it's worth it.
0: Yeah, and I do like that you pointed out um, if they're not napping. So if they are napping, that can go that goes towards their twelve hours of sleep in a twenty four hour period, right?
1: Yes, exactly. And I highlighted H three, right? So if we had a two year old, I would hope that they would be napping for about two hours a day, and then they might have anywhere from ten to twelve hours of sleep. At night
0: Okay Yeah Because I have found Sally My my girl is four And since she doesn't nap anymore um, We pretty much put her to bed at seven And when we get her in bed at seven She's out Fast Mm -hmm. But like you said If I push it And we're doing something as a family And she's up till eight Eight thirty She struggles more And she's Tossing and turning And she doesn't fall asleep as easily So
1: Exactly. And I have my five-year-old actually follows the exact same schedule. He goes to bed at 6.30 and he gets up at 6.30, which I always thought, oh, he needs a little less sleep because he's older, but he does really well with that. So I'm not, he goes right out. I'm not going to fight that. I'm just going to let him go to bed.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad you threw the wrench in there and gave us kind of this overarching principle about think about earlier bedtime for sure. And then what um, What are your takeaways after that? If the, if the earlier bedtime's not Seeming to do it, or they're continuing to fight. What can we do as parents?
1: Okay, so then I would, for my next takeaway, I would, I would say, create a checklist of your bedtime routine, and then stop giving into your requests after you've done the checklist. So, as an example, when I meet with the client, I'll say, "Okay, what, what is your bedtime routine? What are you doing?" And they'll say, "Oh, we brush teeth, get jammies, read a story, go to bed." Okay, great. Once your child is in bed. What are the requests that they're giving you? What are they looking for? Oh, I need to go potty. I would like a drink. Those are like two of the most common ones that I see. And I say, okay, great let's create a visual bedtime routine so that your toddler can see it and know that they're getting everything done. You know, whatever requests they have, we're just pushing those into the routine. And if it's a potty one, I would say go potty twice. So we know that everything is out of their body. Go at the beginning of the routine and go right before bed. Make sure there's a drink in there somewhere if they need a drink. You know, you're pushing everything into that routine. And so when you tuck your child into bed at night and you leave and they start having requests. You know, you've already done it and you have to be able to tell your child no at that point. You have to be able to say, no, we've already done it. It's time to go to sleep because it's not really about the water at that point. Okay, it might be sometimes and that's why we're putting the water into the routine, right? Mm -hmm. But usually it's not really about the water. It's not really about the request. It's about delaying bedtime. And so we as parents have to set that boundary up and be able to say, hey, we're not having water anymore. Stop requesting things because you won't get them. The house is shut down. I'm shut down. We're, you know, we're out of business here. Yes. And until your child understands that we're out of business, they're going to continue to request because they're getting something from it.
0: Yes. And so would you recommend like an actual visual chart that the child can see versus just I sometimes mentally I'm like, okay, we did all the things. We checked them off in my mind, but maybe the kid doesn't see that.
1: Yeah, and if it's a struggle, I'm the same way. We just I just do a mental checklist. So the kids know what we go through. But if my kids were really struggling, then I would definitely do a visual one so that they can see it and they can know. And and to be honest, I should probably create one because my son struggles with the water thing. <laughs> it doesn't matter if I give him a water after we brush teeth. Like he still asks for it after bed. And, you know, we we tell him, No, you've already had it, so we're done. And having that visual checklist helps him see and he can visually check it off in his mind as well.
0: then he knows, you know, he knows that, you know, and then it can, you can more confidently say, no, we're not doing that. Um, Because I feel like that's another thing that having this routine, it eliminates guilt from from a parent, because it's like, we went through the checklist, they know we went through the checklist, and now it's okay for me to insist that they stay in their bed. In fact, it's best for them to get the sleep that they need to be healthy all around and to have these better behaviors. So I'm not being a mean parent. I'm being a good parent by insisting that they stay in their bedroom.
1: Yes. And I'm so glad you brought that up because that's that's something that I feel strongly about and I see a lot with clients that I work with that for some reason we have... This guilt or this emotional baggage around boundaries around bedtime or nighttime that Mm -hmm. we think, well, if I set up a boundary at bedtime and my child wants me to break that boundary and I don't, then I'm a mean mom and I'm going to harm them because it's nighttime. (laughs) And really, it's Mm -hmm. not any different than daytime. I often use the analogy with my clients when we're talking about this to say, you know, if your child woke up in the morning and they wanted to eat ice cream for breakfast. And if you had ice cream for breakfast, like no judgment here, I'm just using it as the example. But if your child wants to eat ice cream for breakfast, and you have a rule that we don't eat, you know, dessert for breakfast in our house, then it wouldn't matter how much my child cried about that. They could sit down on the kitchen floor, and they could cry for an hour, but they're not going to get ice cream for breakfast because we have this boundary or this rule and i don't feel bad about it because i have food for them and offering them food they're choosing not to eat it right and really the same thing applies at nighttime you're setting up a boundary and expecting you know your children to respect that just like they do during the day
0: yeah and i'm laughing because that was our literal conversation this morning. Sally woke up and told me that her dad had said that she could have ice cream for breakfast, which is just a bold faced lie because he's the much healthier of the two of us. He's much healthier. He would never tell her that. And I said, well, you, we can call daddy. He was already at work. I'm like, we can call daddy and see if that's true. And she's like, no, you don't need to call him. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. So, so I stuck to my guns Yeah no ice cream for breakfast and like you said um I feel like we wouldn't feel bad holding that boundary because we're like we know obviously ice cream for be- breakfast is not the best choice for them and yet it's harder for us for some reason to believe that enforcing bedtime enforcing good sleep habits is best for them and so we feel more guilt around it
1: yeah that's a good point there's a lot of self-doubt of, am I doing this right? And there's so many families who do sleep differently that there's a lot. I see it all the time on social media. There's a lot of, my child's still waking up and you'll see people say, oh, they shouldn't be waking up. You just need to have them cry it out. And then you'll see the other side of people saying kids aren't, are supposed to wake up until they're two or three, like just co-sleep with them. And I just think, okay, (laughs) what works for one family doesn't always work for another. And so one thing I try to do with my clients is to just talk to them about what are your values? Where are you at? Like some families love to co-sleep and they want to continue doing that. Now I can't always improve sleep to, you know, hundred percent when co-sleeping is going on, but I can help. Um, so it just, it's not a, there's no right or wrong answer here. It's what are my values? What are my goals? What boundaries do I want to have around sleep? And then how can I create this space where we can all honor those? Does that make sense?
0: Yes, absolutely. And I also think that it's okay um, for parents to have a boundary that is uh, is about them. So yes. sometimes I'll say to my son, who's kind of a night owl, naturally, I really think it's just kind of part of his Circadian rhythm or whatever He's just more of a night owl But he has to stay in his room And when he comes out I just explain to him This is I've been You know, I've been taking care of you and Sally all day, and this is my time when I'm taking care of myself and I'm connecting with dad. And you can't interrupt that. So good night, you know, and that's that's my boundary. That's important to me. It's a self-care. It's a marriage care boundary. And that's good for kids to know that their parents, if that's if that's your value, then it's okay for you to enforce that and to tell your kids, I do have values that I'm gonna stand by.
1: Oh, yes, and I love that because the child is learning so many lessons in that. I mean, he's learning that, okay, there's a boundary around sleep and I need to stay in my room, sure, but he's also learning that, oh, this marriage is important and mom and dad are protecting it and kids wanna see that. Like, he wants to know that you guys are taking care of your relationship because no child wants their parents to you know, see their that relationship fall apart. So he's learning so many good things in that. Um, I love that.
0: Yeah. And I have also found that and he's older, like he's seven, like I said, so I can explain a little bit more to him. But even my four year old, I tried to explain to them why they need sleep And so I'm not just like this mean ogre forcing them to stay in their bed and go to bed early. I try to explain when you have sleep, your mood is better. You can focus in school more. And so I try to have these kind of rational conversations with them, sometimes while I'm cuddling them in bed. And they're like, no, I want to stay up. I'm like, well, these are all the things that are great about sleep. And generally... My kids are pretty responsive to that when I just explain the benefits to them.
1: Yeah, I think our children are a lot smarter than we sometimes give them credit for where they really can understand what's going on. I mean, sleep is a a hot topic in my house. We're always talking about it. And I've noticed my kids will say, they'll start to say things like if one of us is ornery and having a bad day, they'll say, hmm, I think you need a little bit more sleep (laughs) because that's what I always talk about. Like my kids, for example, you know, we're out of town. And so They stayed up late last night and guess who was honoring at breakfast and complaining and not acting like his usual happy self. And I thought, hmm, I know exactly why you're behaving this way. You went to bed three hours late. So I can expect that I need to be extra patient with you today because you're not going to be your best self.
0: Um yeah. And then
1: I could know that he needs to go to bed a little bit earlier tonight, you know, and kind of compensate for that.
0: Yes, definitely. So we are kind of weaving them all in, which typically in my episodes I have very defined like we go along with the three points of the three takeaways. This is a bonus episode, so we have a little bit more flexibility here. But um would you what would you say is the next like defined takeaway there?
1: The third one that I had written down specifically for that toddler age was if your child is really struggling to um, stay in their room, often what that comes down to, maybe it's at, at bedtime when they keep coming out or maybe it's in the middle of the night. Either way, essentially what that child is telling you is I, I, can't, I can't stay in my room on my own, mom. I need help staying in my room. And so that's where I suggest creating a physical boundary that can help them mm-hmm. to stay in their room more or better or, you know, give them what they need to stay in the room. So I see this a lot with toddlers who are transitioned out of the crib a little too soon for developmentally where they are at. And they just literally need that boundary of the crib. And so I suggest, okay, you've taken away the crib, which provides them that safety and security, right? We think of cribs often and we're thinking like, oh, I'm putting them in this space that's combined, and they can't do anything. But that's not always what it feels like for, for a child. What it can feel like for a child is, oh, I have this safe place that provides me these limits that help me to feel safe so that I can mm-hmm. sleep my best. And sometimes when we take that away too soon, they still need that. And so there's a couple of things that you can do. You can, okay, we've taken the crib away and now you can make the bedroom a larger crib, if that makes sense. You're going to make it completely safe and you're just going to shut that door and you know, we can put a child proof lock on it. You can even sometimes just shut it and that's enough to create the boundary. It depends on the child. You could put a gate up in their room, leave the door open and you could put a gate up. And then I've also seen products where you can create kind of a tent around that toddler bed. Mm-hmm. And even that can create the safety and security that they need yeah. to stay in their bed and feel safe. And that's not, again, it's not about locking them in that's what it feels like sometimes. But like this tent, they can get out of this tent. It's not about locking them in. It's about giving them a safe, secure space with limits so it's not so overwhelming for them.
0: Yeah, I love that because I think about my kids and how much they like playing in small spaces. Like my kids will create little forts and then go in them and hide out or even like they'll play in the closet or different things. I think kids do like like playing in boxes and so there must be some element of safety in that more confined space and I'd never thought of that that you can create that safety for them even after they've left the crib by making a, a, a physical boundary that's an excellent suggestion
1: Yeah. And not every kid needs it and it depends on age. But like I said, if you're persistently seeing that, that issue where they, they aren't staying in their bed, they're having that low impulse. It's a great way to kind of not have to put them back in the crib, but meet their needs better for what they need. Yeah. And I guess the only other thing that I would mention and sneak in here, that's maybe not a takeaway is to remind yourself that as you're setting up these boundaries and like, if you decide to shut the door, I have a child who hates the door shut. And that's kind of my hey, if you can't stay in your room, then I have to shut your door because you're coming out. And as long as you can stay in your room, I can leave this door open. And I shut his door and he usually gets upset. (laughs) He doesn't like it. But I remind myself, again, going back to that guilt that we feel, that around boundaries at nighttime, I remind myself that, okay, I set a boundary, I've shut the door, and he he doesn't like it. He doesn't like this boundary. And that's okay. He doesn't have to like and love every boundary I set up. He can be upset about it and he can tell me that he's upset through, you know, crying or yelling at me or, you know, whatever he's going to do. He gets to express himself in that way and and that's okay. That it's okay for a child to be upset.
0: Yeah. And that the child is allowed to have their feelings about it and that you can just empathize and stick with it i think is huge versus like freaking out and screaming at him and why don't you ever just stop that screaming stay in that room you know it's just stay calm and empathize but stick to your boundary
1: yes and that's why having that plan is so important i know when he doesn't stay in his room i know what i'm going to do and i know he's not going to like it but i can say oh i'm so bummed out right now you just came out of your room now i have to shut your door and i i wish i could leave it open for you that's the rule, right? Mm-hmm. It's not my fault. I'm not the bad guy. I'm just following the rules. So I can really empathize with him and and then still be consistent for sure.
0: Yeah. I love that. I feel like so much of this really takes the emotion out of it, which the emotion around sleep can turn quickly to anger, resentment, yelling, um, giving the negative attention, which is actually just going to reinforce the the behaviors that you want to stop as long as you're giving them any sort of attention even if it's negative attention and you're angry at them and so this is r- these are really good tips of how to just be firm in whatever boundary it is that y- is important to you and your family and firm and compassionate
1: yes and i know for me personally like bedtime is my hardest time of the day because i can see the end in sight and i'm exhausted and I don't know. So it just yes. helps. It helps me so much to have bedtime run smoothly and for me to have that plan because otherwise I do. I just explode and I get frustrated and I yell and I, I don't want to end the day with me doing that.
0: Yeah. And that's another reason why I think it's really useful to have bedtime earlier or, and to start it earlier, because mm-hmm. but if I push it and I'm putting them to bed at 839, I'm so much more likely to explode. I am so tired by that point. So it's like, for all of our sake, let's just start it a little bit earlier.
1: Oh, yeah. That's my trick for when I'm doing bedtime by myself, because the earlier you start the bedtime routine, the more willing your children are to do it. And the less stressed I am because I can just take my time doing it if we need it. And then I will spend extra time reading with them before bedtime because, yeah, it's hard sometimes to do it by yourself at the end of the day.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. So I would love for you to tell us about um, your resources. If moms are listening and they want more help from you, what are the different things that you offer?
1: Okay. I have so many awesome things out there. So the first thing that I have is a free Q&A that I do every week on Facebook and Instagram, you can submit a question and I will jump on and answer as many as I can. And I have so many reviews on Facebook from people who have just listened to my Q&A. So a lot of times it's just, oh, I just need to shift bedtime like we talked about, but they just don't know that. And so they can get some really good personal advice for free, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a newborn sleep workshop. It's called Exhausted Mama No More, and I will be hosting one January twenty sixth in Pleasant Grove, Utah. And I have a code for all of your followers if they're interested in attending, which is three and thirty. Oh, so you get ten percent off of your order. And again, this is a newborn workshop, so it is zero to sixteen weeks. So if you are pregnant or your baby will be zero to 12 weeks by the 26th of January, then you will want to sign up for this workshop. It's going to be phenomenal. I can't even giveaways and swag bags, but the information that you'll learn in this is not only going to help you sleep, but it'll help you calm your fussing baby, eliminate fussiness, day-to-day fussiness with your newborn. Um, we talk about attachment. It's just really awesome. It kind of combines the sleep with the, um, marriage and family therapist in me and it's going to be super awesome.
0: That's so great. Thank thank you so much for sharing that. And then I also saw on your website that you have some different packages for parents, depending on the phase that they're in with their baby and what sleep help they need as well. So it's personalized. You talk to them, you get all the information, you make a sleep plan with them, and they get the follow-up support from you as they put the plan into action, right?
1: Yes. And there's multiple different packages on my website, again, depending on your needs and age of your child. But that support when you're implementing the plan is it's priceless. Every single one of my clients will tell me this was worth every penny having you there with me implementing this because you just don't know what your child's going to give you. We can do a consultation, and I've done this before where we've done a consultation, we've written a sleep plan. And as we work together over the next two weeks, things have shifted and changed so much. We've decided to drop a nap or add a nap, or all sorts of things will happen. And it's so nice to just be able to work one on one and kind of take away the anxiety and the self doubt in this department as we're figuring it out together.
0: Well, that's so great to know. And I, the reason why I wanted you on is I felt like it was a perfect follow-up to Dr. Katie Penry's advice, like I mentioned, of getting someone who can help your family personally. And I, I don't share people and I don't share products or information unless I truly believe that it is gonna be a huge value for families. And I hope that people will go check that out if they need that extra support. And before we close, I was wondering if you could recap your three takeaways one more time for us, especially because some of them are kind of woven in there um, so that people walk away with a bit of an action plan.
1: Yes. Let's see how I do. <laughs> Number one, make sure your bedtime is early. <laughs> Takeaway two, um, create a checklist of your bedtime routine and stop giving in to requests after that and then takeaway number 3 was to create a physical boundary within your child's room.
0: When I read your takeaway number 3 create a boundary, I thought you meant an um, like create an a boundary like an emotional boundary, like decide and stick to it, which is also very important, but I love yes. that you were also saying create a physical boundary as well. That reinforces the emotional boundary that you decided on as a family that matches your family's values. Yes. Well, thank you so much. And people can go to your website to find out more. And that's littledreamers.us. And thank you so much for coming on 3 and 30.
1: Oh, my word. Thank you for having me, Rachel. I love your podcast.
0: I want to thank Marietta so much for coming on the show and sharing this advice with us. And she actually misspoke when she said 10% off of her workshop for 3 and 30 listeners. What she actually meant was 25% off, which is huge. So thank you, Marietta, for giving us that discount. You can go to her website, which is littledreamers.us, and enter the code 3 and 30 to get 25% off her workshop. And don't forget, I am also teaching workshops. Hers is in Utah. Mine are in Idaho. So you can go check those out at 3in30podcast.com forward slash workshops if you're interested in coming to mine. I also wanted to remind you that I have an episode on my show about how to get your kids to take a quiet time during the day, which I think is pretty similar, actually, and the takeaways are pretty similar to what we talked about in this episode. So if your kids aren't napping anymore, but you could really use a little break during the day, I encourage you to go and listen to episode 33, Instituting Quiet Time is one of the best things that I've ever done as a mother. So go check that out. Thank you so much to all of you for being here. Please pass these sleep episodes on to any mothers in your life who you think could use them. And I hope that you have a great week with your family.